Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Good morning again. Good to see you all here today. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're tuning in. We pray God blesses all of us as we worship Him. I invite you to bow briefly with me in prayer before we get into the Word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Word. What a treasure. We ask you to open it up to us this morning and help us see how it applies to our lives. Give us courage and boldness to grasp the sword of the Spirit to use it well and wisely and frequently, all the time. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our rock and redeemer. Lord Jesus, you are the word of God, so open it to us today, Lord, we ask you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're near the end of this series on the book of Ephesians, including this section in chapter 6 on spiritual warfare. And today we focus on the first offense weapon we've got in the war, the spiritual war we're involved in, the sword of the Spirit, which Paul immediately says is the Word of God. The Word of God never fails. As the angel Gabriel told Mary when he announced she would bear the Messiah and she wondered at it, he said, for no word from God will ever fail. Luke 1, 37. The word of the Lord stands forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. You just think about the almighty power of his word. Hebrews 4.12 describes the word as a sword with these words. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, I just want you to realize how very super important the Word of God is for everyone, really. There's no word, there's no us, right? In the beginning, God said and things came to be, right? God spoke the universe into being. But there's nothing the enemy would like more to do than to destroy your faith in the Word. So you need to be on the lookout in this spiritual battle for that fact. He will do anything he can to smear the reputation of God's word in your mind so that you stop reading it, you stop taking it seriously, you put distance between you and it. He'll mock it. He'll say, no, no, God didn't really say that. Remember what he told Eve about God's word? Did God really say that? That's not really what he meant. Or if he did mean that, it's not really in your best interest. The enemy is still lying those lies to people to try to get them to distance themselves from the sword of the Spirit, from the Word of God. And one of the reasons is he's terrified of that sword. And if he, he knows if he can take that sword out of your hand or break your use of it, 
that he's going to have a lot easier time doing what he does. So I would encourage you first and foremost in your life and your spiritual walk as you're seeking God to take his word seriously, to say no to those tempting little lies of the enemy to try to separate you from the scripture, from the word of God. Now, that brings me to the forms of the word because there are three forms of the word of God. There's the living word, the written word, and the spoken word. The living word of God is Jesus himself. John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John was speaking of the Son of God there, Jesus, before he became incarnate of the Virgin to become the Messiah. His creating work alongside the Father is the word of God, through whom all things were made. That's why Jesus could say of himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. He's the embodied Word of God, the living Word of God. And living because He's alive. You know, we, today we celebrate communion, and in, in communion we are always remembering the death in, of Jesus on our behalf. That His body was broken for us. When we break that bread, the symbol of His body broken for us. When we drink the cup, the symbol of His blood shed for us. The sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice of the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And we remember when we take communion that we're part of that. We've put our faith in him and we, we have embraced that. We're part of his saving work. But his saving work wasn't just his death. It was his resurrection, his conquering death. If he'd stayed dead on the cross, he'd be no different than any other first century Jewish rebel who was crucified and stayed dead and whose bones were scattered. But he did not stay dead. He was raised on the third day to, by the power of the Father. Indestructible life. The living Word of God. And that means you can have a relationship with Him right now. Today. You can walk with Him. You can know the Word of God personally in your life. Now, we're in a war with unseen powers of evil in the spiritual realm. And these are dark angels, evil spirits, unclean spirits, minions of the devil who work to try to thwart God's good plans and destroy God's good creation, including in you, if they can. Jesus has done the groundwork to defeat the enemy by dying on the cross, taking our place in death to pay for our sins so that if we repent and believe this good news, Receiving Christ by faith, we're forgiven. The things of wickedness and sin in us are taken out of the way. We can be cleansed from all sin, so the devil no longer has a right to destroy us. Because that's what sin does. It's what it did from the beginning when Eve and Adam disobeyed God. And they embraced the devil's lies. They handed themselves over to him and to death. You look at what ha has happened in the human race ever since then. When we embrace sin and we get into it, it brings death in miniature that grows up inside us and wrecks our lives and everyone around us. How wonderful that God has sent a Savior to rescue us out of that mess. Amen? Amen. That's the beginning of Christian salvation, this redemption from the devil. When you receive Jesus as Lord, it's like getting out of a prison whose jailer was the devil and the bars of which were our sins. Why don't you just get your head around that image? 
for a minute. Jesus is the door out of that jail and into God's kingdom. But once out of the jail, we come alive in the spirit and we enter this spiritual war. Now think of it like this. When you're in the jail and your sins are what define you, you're, you're at best a prisoner of war. At worst, you're a servant of the enemy. Right? But when you come out of that jail, all of a sudden you're a threat to the jailer. You're a threat to the one who had used sin and our collusion and rebellion to oppress and mess us up and destroy us. But now, out of that jail and into God's kingdom, you're a soldier for the, his enemy, for the good God. And so believers in Jesus enter a spiritual war in a way they don't, are, are not really participants in when they're just captives to the enemy and don't know God. And we have a unique kind of protection in Jesus for the battle. All that covering of God's glory, the heavenly armor we've been studying the last many weeks. In Ephesians 6, with those specific pieces like truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation. In the spiritual battle, the name of Jesus is the greatest defense against the attacks of the enemy and the greatest weapon to repel and rout the enemy. Remember that great Lutheran hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? It's 110 in your red hymnal. Just want you to hear verse 3 again. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. You know what that little word is? That's right. It's Jesus. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I've heard the testimony of so many people who, as children, wrestled with darkness in their bedroom. Anybody here like that? There's a monster under the bed, in the closet, through the door. Now, sometimes they really were monsters, right? And we got to come to terms with that at some point. But sometimes those monsters are spiritual monsters, the spirit of fear. And many people have told me how when they figured out that the name of Jesus was their weapon against that spirit of fear, that they said, get out of here in the name of Jesus, and it left. So put that in your spiritual uh, weapon kit. And make sure it's ready to hand. That's the work of the sword of the Spirit. Now, there's a, a, the second form of the Word of God is the written Word, which is the Holy Scriptures, given through the prophets and apostles. It's the revelation through the patriarchs and Moses, but that was only the beginning. Its fullness is in Jesus Christ and what he gave his apostles to give to us. And the spoken Word of God is simply God's Word, his written Word, spoken to us in an ongoing way by the Holy Spirit, and also the preaching of the gospel. Now, you should have this test in your mind, one of those ways to make sure you're getting what the Word of God really is. The spoken Word of God will not contradict what God has already said in Scripture. And that's because God doesn't contradict himself. He's always a truth teller. That means he doesn't change his mind about what he said. 
if someone claims they're speaking God's word, but what they say is contrary to what God's already said through Christ and his apostles, you know they are lying. You should not believe them. You should reject them as a false teacher. That's why you should always test what I say. And if you find in Scripture something that I've like, woo, he didn't quite get that right, you should tell me. Now, I try, and I'm, I'm responsible before God. I'll answer for what I preach to you to give you the Word of God as the best as I understand it. But I'm not perfect, right? I try to be, at least in this. We won't ask Lisey what else I failed in. <laughs> The spoken word has power. You need to know that. As Jesus spoke to set people free, so he has given us power to speak in his name to set people free. When a servant of God pronounces someone forgiven in the name of Jesus or released from some burden in the name of Jesus, those are powerful words. And I've been in prayer with people in my office and other places where they've confessed something and they've unloaded it before God. And afterwards, I pronounced the the Christian benediction, in the name of Jesus, you're forgiven. We do that every month when we take Holy Communion. That's why we repeat that litany back and forth. You know, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven, because I need to hear that too. But the things that we have done or been part of or attitudes we've had that are wicked, that we can be released from them and forgiven for them. They don't have to define us anymore. Amen? Amen. That's right. That's good news. So the Word of God has power. People, many, many people come to Jesus because they hear the spoken Word of God in some form. And it convicts them. It gets to their heart. It begins to set them free, bring them, draw them to God's kingdom. Uh, the living Word is also God's Word applied to our own lives. Now, I want you to understand this. This is the word that comes to us personally, whether in a sermon preached or in a part of scripture passage that leaps off the page as we read it, we hear the spirit nudge us and realize that applies to me. You know how many times I, I, I'm standing back there and somebody comes through the line and they say to me, preacher, you were speaking to me today. And I think, well, I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> I didn't sit down and write my message last, last night and say, oh, I'm going to get you, Dot. <laughs> Thanks for letting me pick on you. No, no, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. The Word of God works as it's heard and received, and the Spirit says, oh, this is what I want you to work on. This is what I've called you to deal with. The written Word only becomes living when we combine it with faith. And faith does come by hearing the word of God, but having heard, we must choose to trust God's message, to act on it. It does no good if you only hear without trusting. The devil's heard the word of God, right? Probably a billion times. But he doesn't believe. He's an utter and total rebel. He does his own thing. And so he's the permanent liar. So we got to combine what we hear with faith to respond and say, yes, Lord. I received that, I'll act on it. I'll do what you've asked me to do. I'll make things right. I'll turn from this. I'll forgive this person who I've been so angry at. I'm going to let them go. Whatever it is, whatever the little piece is that God has for you to wrestle with. The Word of God is living and apt, uh, active and sharper than any material blade. 
It cuts to divide asunder the soul and the spirit and to discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, the motives of the heart. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached and confronted his fellow Jews with the truth about the risen Lord and their part in crucifying him. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. And he's proved it by letting him be seen by us, by reliable witnesses. And this Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. And I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but here's what happened as he's preaching the word of God, the, the spoken word of God. And, and it wasn't written yet. Whoever heard the message that day wrote it down, so now we have it in Acts chapter 2. But at that time, it was just spoken. The Holy Spirit inspiring him to speak it. And it plumbed the work of the Spirit as the people heard it. They were cut to the heart, it says. That's very much a knife imagery, isn't it? A sword imagery. That was the work of the sword of the Spirit, plumbing the depths of their conscience and convicting them and leading them to repentance and salvation. Because they heard, oh my gosh, we've colluded in crucifying the Messiah. We are in bad trouble. What are we going to do? And Peter says, more or less this, it's okay. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. The same thing you see on us right now, day of Pentecost. Because this promise is for you, and for your children and all who are far off, for all who will call in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And 3,000 of those people repented that day after being cut to the heart. That's what the sword of the Spirit does. Cuts us to the heart so we can get out of that mess, get freed from the stuff in our heart that's not good. We can be cleansed and forgiven. We can be restored and renewed. Baptism, that imagery of having our sins washed away. They all got baptized that day. See, the living word is God's will and purpose is proclaimed in some area today. And that might include something about the situation in the world, like when Agabus, the prophet Agabus, recorded in the New Testament, he was told by the Spirit there was going to be a famine coming on the Mediterranean world. And so believers got ready. They shared resources with each other to help in the hard times from one part of the Mediterranean to another. Or when the same prophet Agabus told Paul he would be arrested in Jerusalem speaking the word of God. God still reveals that kind of thing when he wants to. The word might also come in answer to prayer from one of God's people seeking help for someone else. You know, it often happens when we're up here and people come to the altar with a need. There's some burden on their heart or maybe they're praying for somebody else or maybe they're sick. And the prayer team comes forward and prays for them. And, and we ask God as we're praying for them, what, how do you want us to pray? We don't necessarily know what they need, right? They're not always telling us. And many times the Holy Spirit has whispered to the prayer team, this is how to pray for that person. Here's the words. Here's what to pray about. And afterwards, those, some of those folks will say, how did you know that? How did you know? That's just what I needed to hear. The sword of the Spirit. <laughs> He's still speaking today. 
And believers can learn to hear him, to discern his voice. Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice and they'll follow me. They won't listen to a stranger or some other shepherd. They'll only listen to me. You as a believer can learn to discern Jesus' voice. And you do that by reading it first. So you find out what did he say? He's not going to change his mind. His tune isn't going to change. He's the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he speaks to me today, it'll be in accord with what he's already said. And then when you're praying and you ask the Lord, what's the solution to this problem I'm facing? And he, you hear something, you'll be able to discern whether that's the Lord because it's in accord with his word or whether it's some other spirit who's trying to trip you up. Knowing the word is part of being ready with your sword, right? If you got a sword and you don't know how to use it and it's just sitting on a shelf in your house and then he comes in and he tries to attack you in that house and the sword is up there and you're kind of fumbling like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to get that. I don't know how to grab that. The enemy's going to be all over you. So, we should be in the Word daily. Learning to use and exercise that sword so we're ready for the fight. It says of Jesus in the book of Acts that he went around setting free everyone who was oppressed by the devil. That's what God still wants to do in the name of Jesus, spreading his love and his healing power through you and me, all of us. Sometimes that's what's happening when we're praying for someone else. And if you ever feel like you should pray for me, please do. Because I know that I'm a special subject of attack as a pastor of a church. And the enemy, if he can trip me up, he's going to affect the whole church. So pray for me that I will be covered. I'll be able to do what God wants me to do as the pastor, say what he wants me to say, lead as he wants me to lead. And I'll have boldness and courage in proclaiming the word and doing the other parts of pastoral work. Pray for me. You know, we're supposed to pray for each other. I'm supposed to pray for you. And I pray for the church every day. I still pray for that prayer card that we gave out during COVID when we were trying to get everybody connected by prayer. And I still have 11 people on that prayer card that I pray for regularly. And if you're one of those prayer card holders, I hope you're still doing that. And if you can't do it anymore, give it back to the office so we can pass it on to somebody who can. All right, that's just my little pitch for the prayer card. Prayer card moves God. Uh, the sword of the Spirit has some vital uses in the battle. You've heard some of them as I've been preaching here, but I want to give you a few more so that we come to the close here. Consider these five pieces. Five ways the Word of God's an offense weapon in the war. First, as what happened on the day of Pentecost with the crowd that heard Peter, conviction is sin, so that we may repent, be forgiven, and get free of it. The devil likes to do this with sin, is remind you of it and then condemn you for it, okay? So you need to learn to discern the difference between the spirit of condemnation and the spirit of conviction. The spirit of conviction just whispers the truth so that you can hear it. You did this. It's like the day that when, when uh, uh, God came and visited Abraham in the tent. And he said to Abraham, your, your wife Sarah's going to have a baby by this time next year. And Sarah's outside the tent listening in. Good wife wanting to know what's going on between her husband and God. And she laughed. Like, 
Oh, boy, this is wild. And then afterwards, God comes out, talks to her. And he says, it's, it's probably Jesus. It's Jesus, pre-incarnate, son of God. He says, why did you laugh, Sarah? She said, I didn't laugh. Oh, my gosh, I'm busted. Right? And here's what God says back to her. Yes, you did. Right? She lied to God. But what did he say to her? Yes, you did. That's what conviction is. Just telling us the truth about ourselves so that we can own it. And then we can give it up if it's the truth we need to give up. If we need to confess it and say, I'm sorry, God, that was wrong. Forgive me. All right? Condemnation, on the other hand, just reminds you of what you've done wrong to beat you with it. Look at what you did wrong. You deserve this. That's the enemy. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's one of the promises of God. All right, so get the difference. When you study the word, it can have this effect if you'll let it. You'll see where you've fallen short of God's ideal will and love. And from this knowledge, we are able, if we'll humble ourselves and admit it, to confess and repent of that moral or spiritual shortcoming, to get out from under it. So many people begin to get freed from their sins when they study Scripture in earnest and begin to put that into practice. Say, Lord, search my heart. It's in the Scriptures. Search me, O God, and try me, and know if there's any hurtful way, and lead me in the everlasting way. That would be a good prayer every day. Lord, how can I get closer to you and more like you in love? Show me where I'm falling short of that so I can get out. Because sin has the long-term effect of wrecking us and bringing death in little or big ways, those who submit to this process of honest soul-searching, confession and repentance begin to see major improvements in their lives. They come out of a life of destruction and death into the freedom and joy of the Lord. Amen? Now, the second type of spiritual freedom, it, it is spiritual freedom. Jesus said, the word of God is truth, capital T. He said, if we hold his teaching, Jesus' teaching, we would know the truth and it would set us free. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, is given to us through faith in Christ to lead us into all truth. And the more the truth of Jesus we are led into, the purer and freer we get. Free from internal oppression, free from fear, free from insecurity, free from bitterness, free from self-rejection, free from self-hatred, free from the hatred of others, free from sin. Now, make no mistake, in Jesus, there's no moral ambiguity. He came to set us free from evil, to make us holy within and without, to make us purely loving like him. And believe me, if you could see what that looked like versus what we would look like if we follow the opposite of it, you would long for and want to become that. And that's God's destiny for you and Jesus. Now, the third way the word of God, the sword works the Word of God contains all the promises of God upon which we take our stand, which give us hope and equip us to act decisively on the offense in this spiritual war. All the promises of God are yes for those who are in Christ. That promise I just said about condemnation, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans chapter 8, a promise of God. If you're in Christ, that promise applies to you. All the promises of God are yes for those who are in Christ. 
Now, you need to get into the Word to discover those promises because there's just too many to count, and they're wonderful. They're awesome. Jesus became a curse on the cross, fulfilling the law so that we could receive the blessing of Abraham. That's a promise. God has the blessing of Abraham for you who are in Christ. All these promises of God are yes for you in Jesus. And a search of Scripture for all those promises yields amazing results. And they encourage us when we're down. They give us the tools we need to face hard times. Fourth, the Word of God helps us identify, resist, and say no to temptation. Jesus used the Word of God to repel Satan's temptations when he was in the wilderness. And we heard Tom read that. Tom Reed read that. Where is Tom? <laughs> there you are. Um, you know, every time the devil had something to throw at him, to tempt him and trip him up, Jesus responded with the truth, the full truth of the Word of God. The devil threw half-truths at him, and Jesus responded with the full truth. Each time by quoting the Word of God. He used the, God, the truth about God to refute the devil's half-truths, which were lies. You know, that's the nature of temptation. It promises to be about something good, but it turns out to be loaded with poison. And when you are in the Word of God, you begin to see that poison for what it is. So many people, when they come to Jesus, will tell you this if, if you ask them, what was your life that it used to be like when you were apart from Christ, and what's it like now? And they'll tell you, well, I used to be attracted to all kinds of destructive things. They came naturally to me. But now that I'm in Jesus, those things repulse me. I don't want to be part of them. They're not as tempting to me anymore. Not, not that temptation is impossible. It's possible to go back and wallow in the mud. But that's not as attractive as it used to be. Because God is in me, and I know the truth. I know that those things are C-R-A-P. Amen? Because that's what the ways of the world are. So the Word of God helps us to repel Satan's temptations. You can use it for the same purpose, the same way Jesus did. It's extremely useful, the truth so important in the spiritual battle when one of the enemy's big weapons is lies and deceptions. It unmasks the enemy's lies disguised as temptations. And if you know God's word, you'll be able to spot the lie when someone, whether another human being or even a devil masquerading as an angel of light seeks to deceive you in spiritual matters. You'll recognize it. And the fifth way, the final one, Thou addressed today, and I'm sure there's other ways the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit is useful, but it's for deliverance from evil spirits. I mentioned an example or two already in the message, but we can use the Word of God to expel evil spirits. We do this by commanding them to leave in the name of Jesus. Come out, be silent, or cease and desist in the name of Jesus. Now, okay, I, I get we live in this materialist culture where Speaking of angels and demons is like, you know, sci-fi or fantasy. Although people are fascinated by it, right? See the proliferation of TV shows about it, movies about it. But according to Scripture, that's a, a spiritual reality, an invisible spiritual reality. There are forces of evil in the heavenly realm that are out to get us. 
that are opposed to God and his purposes. Their time is limited. It's short. Their power is limited. They're not all powerful. They're not out there in the whole universe, you know, doing things. They're stuck here with a, a limited power to try to test us, see what we're really made of until their day comes and the Lord returns and they're the judge and they're thrown into the lake of fire. And I know their time is short, but now in the meantime, in this spiritual about, battle against them, Jesus has given us authority. Luke 10 records Jesus giving authority to his disciples to cast out evil spirits in his name. Not just the 12, but the 72, and uh, by implication through them, all believers. At the end of Mark, it specifically says that. You'll lay hands on people and they'll get well and you'll cast out evil spirits. Luke 10, 21 records his words to them about it. And I've, I've said this to you many times. It's, uh, you should memorize this scripture. I give you authority over snakes and scorpions and to trample, to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And nothing will by any means harm you. And, and, and those were categories of demons. Snakes to, like the serpent, to deceive and bite and bind and poison and choke, and scorpions to sting, bitter sting. And I give you power over all of that. Because they came back rejoicing that the evil spirit submitted to them in the name of Jesus. They were throwing them out of people who were stuck in evil and setting them free. Brothers and sisters, you and I have the same authority today as believers in Jesus. Grab hold of that. If you're experiencing evil in your own life or your own home or even in bed at night, say in the name of Jesus, I compel you, spirit of fear, to get out of here. And maybe the Lord will remind you, hey, here's why you're afraid. Let's talk about that. But the authority to oppose and resist evil is part of the sword of the spirit. What Jesus told them right there were the words of God themselves. In my name, you will expel evil spirits. And if you know that promise and you have it in your heart, you have what you need to confront those things when they come to harass you or someone you love. In the name of Jesus, I bind you. In the name of Jesus, I command you to silence. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave, to go to the feet of Jesus. Now, listen, I understand that this piece of spiritual warfare, it requires a whole teaching in and of itself. And years ago, we did the spiritual warfare class on Isaiah 61. And spent months working through things about that. And even at the end of that, there was so much more to learn. So uh, if you're just sort of like today, like a little bit curious, this is one of those things that it's worth finding out about. And maybe, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, don't get all carried away with that. Don't rejoice that you had power over the evil spirits. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We can get carried away with this piece of our divine weaponry and overfixated on it. That's not what we're supposed to be about. But it has a use in a time and a place where we need to know how to use it and we need to be using it. The sword of the Spirit in this way to set ourselves and our loved ones and other people free from evil. Sometimes a simple prayer in the name of Jesus for somebody who's wrestling with forces beyond their control Spirit of suicide, spirit of despair, spirit of hatred, spirit of bitterness, spirit of unforgiveness, spirit of rage, 
spirit of confusion, somebody to come and pray for them and say, in the name of Jesus, I set you free. I release you from this attack of the enemy. You're going to be amazed at how God moves. Ask him to help you. All right. Well, obviously there's much more that could be said about these things. As we turn now to take communion, uh, I want to invite you to just give what I've said to God and say, Lord, help me. I give you those words. Help me to apply and receive what you have for me out of them. And teach me how to use the sword, your word. I want to be ready for the spiritual battle. I don't want to be a victim. I want to have my armor on and my stance ready to go on the offense for the kingdom. So they're not just me, but my family and those around us and the people in my spheres of influence can be affected by good. I can see them just like Jesus went around setting people free, all manner of people free from the oppression of the devil, that I can be part of that too. And listen, he's going to use you in amazing ways. You know, just a final word about Alpha. We, we have our first Alpha kickoff in two weeks, and it's really just an introduction to Christianity in a very winsome, high production values, beautiful way of presenting who Jesus is and what the gospel is. And maybe you've been wondering, oh, I don't know who I could invite, or um, I'm a little intimidated to invite somebody. Just take one of those little pieces of paper and say, hey, neighbor, we're getting ready to run this class at church. You might be interested in it. Let God figure out who's going to come, right? It doesn't have to be a big deal, but it could be the opening of those people's lives to a whole new hope and future as they figure out why Jesus is worth trusting with their lives. So I I encourage you to really get on board with that. This is a really wonderful opportunity for, for us, the whole church, to reach out to the community and offer people Christ. And that's what John Wesley told his preachers to do when he, when he sent them into the, the wilds of the American colonial days. He said, offer them Christ. Offer them Christ. Tell them to flee from the wrath to come. Offer them Christ. And wow, what a, a fire of revival caught in the, in the colonies as those messengers, the spoken word of God, took the good news of the gospel out and planted countless, countless, countless churches. People coming to Jesus. Let's be part of that today, amen? Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkillhaven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.